I don't think that healthcare stakeholders like health plans and health systems, they don't have a choice. People, you know, healthcare consumers are going to gravitate toward solutions that, that treat them like who they are matters. And they're, they're demanding to be treated better in healthcare. And what we're trying to do with Kensei Hosano is to deliver on that and to give a more personalized, customized experience that comes from understanding who people are through data and experience uh, and then treating them like really who they are matters. This episode of Pop Health Week is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Health Innovation Media creates thought leadership content that supports your value proposition via original or curated digital assets for omni-channel distribution and engagement. Connect with us at www.popupstudio.productions. And welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the Managing Director of Health Innovation Media and the producer-co-host of Pop Health Week. Joining me in the virtual studio is my partner, co-founder, and principal co-host, Fred Goldstein, president of Accountable Health, LLC. Pop Health Week engages top industry talent spanning health systems, health plans, physician enterprises, joint ventures, employer purchasing coalitions, or alliances, including the regulatory community in population health best practices and strategies. On today's episode, our guest is Abner Mason, the founder and CEO at Consejo Sano Health, a digitally empowered patient engagement solution focused on promoting health equity and reducing healthcare outcome disparities. Thanks so much, Greg and Abner. Welcome to Pop Health Week. Uh, thanks. Thanks uh, for inviting me to join. It's really a pleasure to have you on. I heard you obviously at HIMSS, fantastic panel I listened to in your discussion, and really looking forward to this. I think it's a critically important area for population health. So why don't we start, Abner, give us a little sense of your background and the work you've done before you formed Conseo Sano. Sure. So uh, in terms of background, uh, originally from North Carolina, you know, came from a lower income family. I didn't realize it at the time, but it turns out we were. And I got a scholarship to go to boarding school in Massachusetts, which was mind blowing from, for a kid from North Carolina. And then I went to Harvard and then uh, uh, worked at Bain. My first job was a consulting firm, strategy consulting. Uh, and then got into state government, Massachusetts, and that really, you know, put me on this trajectory that that uh, ended up with me getting more into healthcare and starting Consejo Sano. I was I ended up being chief policy advisor for a couple of governors in Massachusetts, uh, and that led me to do a lot of work around HIV/AIDS. I was appointed to the Presidential Advisory Council on HIV and AIDS uh, by George W. Bush, and and that really transformed my uh, my view of health and also my expectations about what we could we could achieve here in America. That's great. And as you work through, obviously, all of those areas, and HIV AIDS, critical, really unique introduction to populations that are oftentimes disadvantaged. And so I, I assume that sort of set the foundation for what you then went on to do next. Yeah, I really learned with the HIV AIDS challenges that uh, that uh, a healthcare system, and this is actually true for other healthcare systems around the world, too, they don't. Uh, they don't do a good job of of meeting the needs of everyone, and sometimes uh, stigma and discrimination gets in the way, and that's what happened with with HIV/AIDS. And so I did a lot of work. Um, it's sort of the the, uh, the 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 conjunction of of healthcare and public health, and and also uh, sort of societal uh, uh, issues like biases. And so um, I learned a lot with the HIV AIDS uh, epidemic and a lot of those lessons I, I, we've, 
I've been able to apply in this current epidemic, uh, which is uh, which is COVID. So it's interesting, you know, having having been through one um, <laughs> and being able to draw on some of those lessons uh, for the challenges that we face now. And so, what did you see as the opportunity or the areas that really were in need to then go and form a company, and and how does it address those areas? Sure. So the you know the the need I saw was that uh, our healthcare system in the U.S. Um, and just doesn't do a very good job of uh, of meeting the needs of and engaging with what is an increasingly multicultural uh, country. You know, the U.S. Our healthcare system was kind of founded to serve English speakers, and uh, and as the country has become dramatically more multicultural over the last four or five decades, one of the clear needs I saw was uh, how do we uh, make our healthcare system work for what is becoming the majority of Americans. We are now a very diverse uh, country. We're on the way to becoming a majority minority country. And so the healthcare system is still kind of stuck in the 70s in the way that it engages. It's it's usually, uh, you know, uh, engagement content uh, created by English speakers for English speakers, and then they'll translate it. But that approach, which is to, uh, it really is a one size fits all approach. If you take a message and you translate it, it's still the same message, just translated. And what, what I learned through my work internationally, and certainly in the early days of Kensei Osano, is that uh, we need to uh, build a more personalized, customized engagement strategy if we're going to build trust with patients. And I'm, and I'm going to not use the word patient. I'm going to call them healthcare consumers, because ideally, we want to engage with people when they're not patients and, and actually prevent them from being patients, right? So let's call them you know, healthcare consumers. Uh, at some point in, in everyone's life, they're going to be a healthcare consumer. We need to, to build more personalized customized approaches and treat people like who they are matters. Your life journey, Fred, is different than mine. And if a health plan treats us the same, they're not going to build trust with us. They're not going to get deep engagement. And so what we're saying at Kensei Hosano, and, and I, I, I created the company to do this, let's use technology uh, and experience uh, combine those uh, to build more customized, personalized engagement strategies that can build trust with, with healthcare consumers. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about more customized and personalized, I think back to the day, and I know you saw this, you would get a contract with Medicaid or something, and they would say, okay, we're going to have you produce materials in any language that more than 5% of the population speaks or something like that. And obviously, that was a start. But where has that gotten to now? What sort of things are you doing, and, and, and how do you go beyond that? Hey, we created a pamphlet, like you said, that was just a translation. Right. So... Uh... Maybe, maybe a good way to answer that question is to say, give an example of where we're trying to go. Um, I was just, you know, like a lot of Americans over the last year and a half, spent a lot of time on Netflix <laughs> because we were trapped at home. And, and Netflix, like other parts of our, of, of our culture, and Amazon is the same way. When I go to Netflix and, and I have a partner, we live in the same house, they recommend different things for him than they do for me. They treat me differently. They don't assume we're the same person. They they pretty quickly get a sense of what I want to watch, and they start to cater to my needs. Uh, Amazon is the same way. If you buy a pair of shoes on Amazon, I guarantee you they're going to recommend different things for you than for me. And after a while, they get very good at this. 
what I'm saying is that the rest of, of our culture has figured out how to use data and technology in a way that can create a more personalized experience, that can treat me like I am a unique person different from you, Fred. It takes into account my interests and my desires and my experience, the things I, I hope for and, and, and the things I don't want to see, they don't show me. Um, they, they're treating me like who I am matters. And so what we're trying to do at, at, at Conseil Sano is something very similar. We're trying to say that healthcare, and here's the point, healthcare has got to get out of the 1970s and move into 2022 and, and start to treat healthcare consumers, uh, give them the same respect and the, and, and the same kind of customization that the rest of, of our culture and society has started to do. And frankly, healthcare uh, consumers have come to expect this. So I, I don't think that healthcare stakeholders like health plans and health systems, they don't have a choice. People, you know, healthcare consumers are going to gravitate toward solutions that, that, that treat them like who they are matters. And they've gotten accustomed to being treated better in the, in other parts of the, of society and the culture. And they're, they're demanding to be treated better in healthcare. And what we're trying to do with Conseil Sano is use is to is to deliver on that and to give a more personalized, customized experience that comes from understanding who people are through data and experience, uh, and then treating them like really who they are matters. And so, what sort of data elements are you grabbing to do that? It's it's very similar to other you know to to what some other folks in in the culture are doing. We uh, we call one aspect of what we do uh, cultural detailing. So we try to understand who, if it's a patient or a health plan member, we try to understand who that person is and what their life is like. And there's lots of data available to us, public data that's available, but we can start to understand, for example, uh, if it's a low-income person, do they have public transit where they live? Uh, if we're trying to uh, get a, a, a Medicaid member, so this is a low-income person by definition because they're in Medicaid, we're trying to get them to go in for a well-child visit. If we know ahead of time that they are they live in an area where there's no public transportation and we know that there's low car ownership and we know that the clinic is far from where they live, it's kind of foolish for us to engage in the effort to get them to come in for a well-child visit without asking them about, do you have transportation? Can you get to the clinic? And if you can't get to the clinic, maybe there's a benefit that the plan has that we can talk to you about, or we can figure out something. But to treat that person, that member, like we don't know that transportation is likely an issue for them is not the way to build trust. And, and let me flip that around. One of the ways to build trust is to not wait till that person misses the appointment because they didn't have a ride. It's instead to engage on the front end and ask the simple question, is transportation a problem for you? And people, when you do that, you build trust. That, that's what I mean by connecting with people as who, understanding who they are, connecting with them based on who they are, and not waiting for someone to kind of miss the appointment. Uh, and, and, then we, we, and then we say, well, you don't really, you know, not you, not you, but some people would, you know, draw from them missing the appointment, but they don't really care about getting their child in for a well-child visit. That's not true. They care, but they didn't have a ride, and we <laughs> we didn't take the time to even ask them about that. So that's, you know, I, there's a lot that we can do uh, to build trust for people, but a big part of that is understanding who people are uh, at, at that deeper level. And how much of that sort of a relationship is built upon a care coordinator or a coach or a, a promotora versus uh, technology that you may be using in terms of your programmatics? So we we have uh, uh, 
in the as we've grown the company, we started with with a very sort of hands-on approach using uh, what we would call uh, care coordinators, and we call them now I think community uh, health guides. Um, and and they still are a very important part of our business. These are real people who come from different backgrounds. They cover about 25 different cultures and languages, um, and they are very important. And they've helped us, you know, as we've grown the company, uh, they've helped us to build that more trusted relationship. But as we grow as a company, we can't... Uh, the, the truth is, if you're going to engage not just millions, but tens of millions of people, and if we're going to give them this kind of personalized, more customized uh, uh, engagement uh, approach that we're talking about, we as a company have had to figure out, and it's not easy to do, but had to figure out how do you build into the technology that human feel that our community health guides uh, naturally give. They, they, they naturally give it, right? And they exude it and, they, and, and it's wonderful that we have them, but we can't scale and serve tens of millions with them. So we've, got to, we've had to figure out how do we build into our technology uh, that, that experience that they're offering. And I, I'm really proud to say that we are getting better and better and better at that, at balancing you know, the human touch uh, with technology. And is that an app you've built or a website or a portal or what do people do? Yeah. So, you know, our experience and, and others may have a different experience, but our experience uh, at Conseil Sano, and we serve now, I think we're in 15 states. We're about not, almost 3 million folks we engage in, and 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 uh, we have learned that native text messaging is the best way to engage with healthcare consumers today regardless of, of income. So this is true in Medicaid and Medicare Advantage and Exchange and in commercial. Um, we have found that, that two-way text messaging native is the best way to engage. Asking people to download an app uh, is a heavier lift. You know, you've got a, people, I don't know how many apps are on your phone, but I, I, I suspect if, I, if you count it up, you, it's a lot. And, it's, and people, you know, there's a bit of, uh, people are jaded a bit. So you've got to build a really trusted relationship nowadays to get people to download an app. What we found is that we can be very successful with native text messaging, and we supplement that with calls from our, our community health guides. Uh, so I really want to want to push folks in healthcare to 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 take a close look at, at text messaging. That is the way America communicates in 2022. And if you're doing anything else, if you're mailing people using US mail, email, I, I'm just telling you, it's not the way to engage, engage folks nowadays. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week. Our guest is Abner Mason, founder and CEO at Consejo Sano Health, a digitally empowered patient engagement solution focusing on promoting health equity and reducing health care outcome disparities. Well, I, I, th I think you nailed it. You know, it's absolutely true on the text messaging and we you know we experienced that years ago in some of our programs as well that that was definitely the way to reach the population and also just to point out as I, I may have said on an earlier shows at one time I was doing a health literacy program with the CDC director of health literacy and they made the comment we've known for 30 years that handing out brochures or mailing them to people's homes don't work but we still do it you know and here you are you know this is this pathway and, and so I would assume you get permission from the individuals to then text message it to them back and forth and is that 
with a more centralized center? Are you using a primary care, a primary coach or a primary nurse model? Or are you using, well, the text came in, we've got somebody into our system and today it could be Fred, tomorrow it's Abner that responds. So let me answer that in, in two ways. So first, I just want to uh, uh, double down on this text messaging issue as because it is a big challenge for us. And, you know, we, we're now in January 2022. And the truth is that most health plans in the country, and I, I focus on health plans, but this is true for a lot of health systems, they're still not using text messaging as a way to engage with their, with their members. Uh, and the reason is that there's an old law, the, the Telephone Consumer Protection Act from 1992, um, that basically says you can't send a text message if you don't have permission in advance to send that text message. Now that law from 1992 was written when like the first text messages were sent out. Uh, it does not reflect the reality of 2022 when this is the only way to engage with, with people. So we have a problem that we have got to, as a healthcare community, solve. It's not solved today, but we need to solve it. Texting is a health equity issue. It is the only way that, that particularly low-income, underserved populations are going to engage. And if we don't figure out a way to solve this problem, we're never going to achieve the goals we have for reducing you know, healthcare disparities and making our healthcare system work better. Uh, for everyone, so we we have we've got to work with with the the relevant stakeholders. The plans are involved here because they need to be more aggressive, um, and 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 figure out a strategy to to uh, use texting to engage their members. We need regulators at the federal and state level to step up. They've got to you know I would I'd like to say that we need the Congress to pass a new law, but that's so <laughs> that's. That's such a heavy lift, and I, I'm going to not even go there. I, I so. was going to go there, Abner. <laughs> I was going there directly. And I'm thinking, you know, what we should do, I mean, this is just straight up smart, but, you know, and you've got the data, et cetera, to show this, is we should create an exemption for healthcare with an opt-out model instead of an opt-in model for text messaging. Agree 100%. Agree 100%. That is exactly what we should do. But, you know, this is a federal law. And, you know, these, I, I, I respect the, the, the folks that we send to Washington, um, but, but they are struggling to get anything done. Um, so I don't want the, the needs of, of healthcare consumers and patients and, and, and health equity put on hold while we wait for the Congress to act. They need to act, and you are exactly right, and I 100% support that. But between now and the time that the U.S. Congress can act, there are, we need to do things. We, we can't wait. And, and, and I just want to emphasize texting is a health equity issue. And so if we if we really are serious about health equity, we need to get the plans to step up and we need to get regulators at the state and federal level to step up because there are things they can do. I'll give you an example, um, a quick example. We could simply have the states put on their Medicaid form that if you are approved for Medicaid, if you're approved, you are giving permission to be communicated with by your Medicaid managed care plan. Simple. It would be, I mean, it's, it, that would solve it because we wouldn't have to change the law. They, we would have given consent already. So these are, that's a, just one example of the kinds of things that we could, we could be smart about and that we could do that would really start to address this. Or we could have, you know, and I am encouraging this, the, the administrator over at CMS could give guidance to plans and, and to, to regulators to say, Health equity is important, and this is a texting is a health equity issue. So you need to use every tool available to you, uh, so that we can engage with 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 all healthcare consumers, but particularly low income Medicaid people are are you know, that's our focus at Conseil Sano. 
we are not going to to solve our health equity challenges and the health disparities if we can't can't engage with people in the way that they not only prefer but in many instances the only way they're going to engage Mm-hmm. And when you think about this, obviously you're doing something. You're in the space. You're seeking to address these issues. Social determinants of health and this whole health equity issue has become the hot button topic. How much are you seeing is words and speech versus actions at this point as we look at that on a larger scale? It's a it's a that's a really good question. Um yeah, that's a really good. I, I think I think that is you know the, I think that is the most important question for us to have in mind as we sort of move into twenty twenty two. My my view has been that you know because of the pandemic, we've had to focus so much on the pandemic that a lot of the health equity uh, work hasn't gotten the kind of attention that it should get. So what I'm hopeful for is that. You know, we've got an administration, President Biden and the administration, they have said very clearly health equity is a number one priority for them. But I understand when you when the house is on fire and that's what we had with COVID, they had a focus on putting the fire out. I'm just going to push up the back a little bit, Admiral, point out something. The pandemic showed just how bad we are at it. We could have at least tried to ad- address it within the pandemic itself. Yeah, it's I mean, I there's I agree with you 100 percent. I think that even. I'll give you an example that that proves your point, which is that even as we did testing for COVID and 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 started to distribute the vaccine, we haven't been collecting race, ethnicity, and language data. This is a this has been a problem for our healthcare system for decades. And you would think that we would have used the pandemic as a time to say we're going to get it right this time because. Uh, we know there's a correlation between uh, being underserved and low income and, and and even communities of color and higher rates of infection and death for the pandemic. So you would think we would have said, let's make sure that we're collecting race, ethnicity, and language data across the, 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 the responses to the pandemic. First, it was testing, and now it's getting vaccines and even boosters. We, we still aren't collecting that data the way we should. So I agree with you 100% that we could have done better. But here's my point. I, I want to be fair, and I, as I said, when the house is burning, you don't say which fire department came or is that is that good is that clean water or dirty water? You say put the fire out, right? So I, I do think we've been in a crisis situation, but we are I, I feel we are starting to you know fingers crossed move out of it, and there's an opportunity for us going forward to learn from what uh, what the pandemic has taught us, but also to draw the lessons that we knew before the pandemic and start to really create a healthcare system that works better for everyone. Given what we saw with, with the pandemic, um, where do you see the next areas we need to focus on? You've talked about getting some of this individual data on race, ethnicity, things like that. What are the next kinds of things we need to be thinking about and working on? So uh, I think there, there's a couple things that come to mind immediately. So because it's so important, that texting issue we need to solve. It's just that it's almost like table stakes. If we don't get that solved, in my view, we ought to stop talking about health equity and, and trying to say we're serious about it. We can't even solve the table stakes issue. So we need to you know, solve that. And then I think, and this goes to your earlier question too, we've got to figure out how do we move more quickly to... To, to implement strategies that that ad- that address this reality that we all know, which is that a person's health is not determined by what happens in a clinic visit when they're with the doctor, maybe 
two, three, even four times a year. Uh, and the other factors that, you know, as you notice, social determinants of health have a, a much more profound impact on, on a person's health. And so I think one of the key things we need to do is to figure out quickly how do we, you know, uh, uh, allow the healthcare system uh, to do a better job of addressing the whole person. And by that, I mean investing in those social determinant of health issues and addressing those. Uh, so there is good news here. Um, the Medicare Advantage Program, which is the program for seniors, um, it has, they, they've come up with a new program. They call it Supplemental Benefits. And it's new, uh, and it allows the Medicare Advantage plan to spend some of the premium dollar for a member on non-clinical issues. Uh, an example is if you've got a senior and she's living in, 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 in South Texas in, in, the, in, in San Antonio and it's July, if she doesn't have a, and she's got some, some respiratory issues in, in general, if she doesn't have an air conditioner, she's going to have a respiratory event that's going to cause her serious illness and have and be a big expense for that for her health plan, the, the Medicare Advantage plan. Now that plan can buy her an air conditioner. They can with premium dollars. They can actually install it in her window and even give her a little bit of money to address. Uh, any kind of increases in the in her in her electric bill in the summer months. Uh, that's what the supplemental benefits program is about. It gives you a little bit of flexibility, and it's new, and they're going to develop it. I think that is really encouraging, and I want to just commend the folks at at CMS and others for for establishing a program like this uh, for Medicare Advantage. But shouldn't we have a program like that for Medicaid? Medicaid is a program for low-income people. If anybody needs to have their social determinant of health issues addressed, there's folks on Medicaid. I think we need to see a similar kind of flexibility for Medicaid managed care plans to spend premium dollars on these social determinant of health issues. And we should not require every state to do what North Carolina's done to get a what's called an 1115 waiver so they can do it. Congratulations to North Carolina. I'm from there, by the way. So it's a proud moment that North Carolina was the first state to get a waiver, but we shouldn't require the other 49 states to go through a process like that when we know that the, the Medicare managed care plans are, are capable of and are in the best position to know how to use some of that premium dollar uh, to address those, those social determinant health issues in a way that will improve health. So just quickly on that issue of using the dollars, a lot of that I see is everyone saying, let me add another CPT code. For, but if we, but the dollars are in the system, because if you do those things, you're going to save on something else. So shouldn't we just move to some of these advanced payment models to do that? I think we should, and I think we should, we should, you know, uh, uh, have more flexibility and let people try things. I mean, I'm not smart enough to know what's going to work everywhere. So my view is, let's, you know, let a let a thousand flowers bloom. Let let's let's try some things and see what works, uh, and then double down on on what works. So I, I agree with you 100. percent the, the, the mon there's money in the system to do a lot of this. It's just not being deployed uh, in, in the way it should. Absolutely. Well, it's really been fantastic to get you on, Abner. Thanks so much for joining us on Pop Health Week. Sure. Happy to be here. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Oh, it's certainly our pleasure. And back to you, Greg. And that is the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank Abner Mason, founder and CEO of Consejo Sano Health, a digitally empowered patient engagement solution focused on promoting health equity and reducing healthcare outcome disparities for his time and insights today. Do follow his work on Twitter via at Abner Mason and at Consejo Sano, that's C-O-N-S-E-J-O-S-A-N-O, 
underscore U.S. respectively, and on the web at www.consejosanous.com. And finally, if you're enjoying our work here at Pop Health Week, please like the show on the podcast platform of your choice, share with your colleagues, and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Bye now.